Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. More than ever during these uncertain days that our nation continues to deal with very fearfully this virus, the central message of this text is so appropriate. The testing of our faith. It's brought to the forefront of our thinking. Over these past several weeks, so much information has been passed over the airways. And because most people, most people are fearful by nature, we've stayed glued to the news media. As much as maybe we hadn't wanted to, I keep clicking that button on my Fox webpage to find out what the very latest news is, searching for that next bit of information so that my mind and my, emo- my emotions can figure out ways to deal with this underlying fear and trying to understand exactly what we're being told. And so often, we haven't really known what we're supposed to believe about all of this, about all that's being told to us, because each of our so-called experts has a slightly different opinion. Some have very different opinions. And the news media, by nature, by their nature, they must give their reports in such a way as to keep us glued to them, to keep us depending upon them and their perspective, else they can't sell their information to us. And unfortunately, fear is the most effective method that all of those folks, the media, the politicians, the world leaders, Fear is the most effective method of keeping us dependent upon them. Fear. And all of this is very personal to each of us. With some of us, the fear can be intense. I don't know how it is with you. I'm not very fearful myself, but there is an underlying fear that's there. But with some, this fear is so intense, so much so that it alters the way that we think about most everything that's taking place. You get angry at that person who walks by you in Walmart that didn't put on a mask and they want to start coughing at you. Little ways of grabbing hold of our emotions and fears. But as we receive this information through our news, every new thing that they report, our fear grows and grows. And again, fear can be controlling. And not only for us personally, but have you noticed that as a nation of people, We're fearful. The whole nation is fearful. And we only have to observe how the stock market rises and falls so dramatically almost every day to see that same fear taking place. If you call your stockbroker, he says that he makes decisions for your portfolio based upon analytical data. But all you have to do is watch the news and you'll see that, yes, there's a smattering of that. But it's mostly fear-driven, fear-driven. Also, what's been taking place in this period of of the last three or four weeks, you and I, most everybody, we're very relational people. We really do need to enjoy the company of friends. I'm a hugger. I love to hug. It's the way I express myself. I hug grown men, embarrass some of them sometimes in public, but um, I'm a hugger. Some of you are huggers. We love to go out and eat together. 
We love to do things together. But in this crisis, we're being told not to do that. Not to do that. We're instructed to isolate ourselves and take this next best thing of visiting with friends on social media, which really isn't the same. So then, with all the information that's being poured out upon us, what are we Christians supposed to think and to do? We talked in Sunday school about how we can understand God's plan for our lives. His scriptures is by the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to think as Christians? Because we have questions. We have questions. The world is floating around out there wondering who's going to save them. But as believers, we also have questions. Probably one of the most asked questions during times like this when everything is so chaotic and, and no one seems to be in control of anything, is what is God doing? What is God doing? Is He in control? What is God's role in all of this? Has that occurred to any of you all? Probably has in one way or another. What is God doing? Is He in control? And I must confess to you that it is in these exact kinds of circumstances and trials and testings that the book of James here uh, spoke about just a moment ago. It's during these trials and these testings that I am so glad that God has called me and this church, the doctrines of this church, into the Reformed faith. That's a special blessing. I don't know if you know that or not. It's a very special blessing. It's at these moments, some of the most basic of the doctrines that we believe in this church are brought to the forefront. It's now that we're reminded and we must remind ourselves that God truly is sovereign. That's one of the doctrines of our church. God truly is sovereign and He is in control. And though He may not seem like it, though the world may fashion what it's doing out there in such a way as to look very chaotic, God really is sovereign and He's in control. And listen, listen, God is not just a little bit sovereign. There is no such thing as a little bit sovereign. And our God is not just a little bit sovereign, or say, perhaps over just specific things, but He is totally sovereign. He has the power and the authority and the control over everything that exists, both in the heavens, but especially in what's taking place on this earth right now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? These are the times that the testing of your faith says you must believe that, because that's what these scriptures tell us is the truth. We in the Reformed faith also, besides believing very firmly that God is sovereign, that He is also providential. God is also providential. Now, what does that mean? It means that God very intentionally reaches His hand into any and all of the matters that are taking place on this earth at every moment of every day, and that He orchestrates both the conditions of what's taking place and the outcomes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Folks, I do. I do. I believe it with all my heart. And it's essential that we understand that that is true, that He is sovereign and that He is providential, especially as we weather through every part of this pandemic that we're in. And trusting that to be true gives me great peace. I mentioned a while ago, I don't fear a lot. I really don't let fear of this virus control me. Why? It's because of this. It's not 
that I'm special or that I'm brave. It's because I believe and I trust in what these scriptures tell us about our God. It gives me great peace by trusting that God truly is sovereign and that His divine hand is in everything that is taking place. That sting of fear that is so pervasive throughout our whole nation, it's taken away and it's replaced by peace and by confidence. What do I mean? I mean that, yes, God really does have not only me, but has the whole world, as we used to sing as children. He has the whole world in His hand. And He is lovingly caring for every person that lives and breathes and has their being on this earth, and especially those of us who have Him as our Savior and Lord. Simply put, God has been personally, listen, so important, God has been personally and intimately involved in every minute detail of this COVID-19 pandemic from the first moment of its beginning. May I say that again? God has been personally and intimately involved in every minute detail of this pandemic from the first moment of its beginning. And it's not in the manner that many of, perhaps say our Arminian brethren, think that God is standing off from a distance, observing, watching, and then only intervening when we cry out in prayer, oh God, save me, help us. And only then coming in with what we were talking about earlier with his cleanup crew of Romans 8.28 where he says, okay, you made a mess out of this. I'm going to fix it for you. That's not what God is doing. That's not what He's done from the beginning. That is not the way that God exercises His sovereign care and control over this world. One of the articles from our Westminster Confession of Faith declares that God Himself is the first cause of all that is and all that takes place on this earth. He is the first cause of all that takes place on this earth. Now that article also goes on to tell us that while yes, He is the first cause, he does providentially permit secondary causes by people, whether they be politicians or world leaders or the media, even you and me. Meaning that although people can, and they do cause so many things to take place, our causing, our causing is ever and always under the divine control and supervision of God, the first cause. I was reminded as I thought through this this morning. God reminds us, and I invite you to uh, look this verse up. It's Isaiah 8, 12. He says to us, Bill, as you're watching this article or these people talk on Fox News, I don't watch the other ones, so I don't know what they're saying, but he says, do not always call everything a conspiracy. That's the Lord. The Lord's saying that. How many times have you sat there and watched all of this take place and declare in one form or another that that's a conspiracy by the, by the world leaders or by the Chinese or by the um, politicians? It's a conspiracy, conspiracy. The Lord says there in Isaiah 8, 12, He says, don't be doing that. Yes, men do conspire. Yes, they do. But He says, I'm always the first cause. I'm always the first cause. So yes, men will do what they do, but only under my supervision. I was thinking, it's a hard thing for you and me to rationalize 
how God has this plan and He's bringing it all together and He's orchestrating it and He designs the outcome. But yet we're doing so much and so many things ourselves. I thought of Judas this morning. You know, Judas thought that he, by his own free will, would contribute to the crucifixion of Christ. Too often we think that also. But if you read the Scriptures, you'll find that it was that way from the beginning. Yes, Judas did what he did, and he conspired with those chief priests. But all he was doing was working out God's plan for that crucifixion of the Lord Jesus on that very day, that very hour that he was supposed to die. There is this thing that takes place in God's will and in His plans and men's will and their plans. Somehow they come together. It's a mystery that I don't understand. I really don't understand, but I know that it does because I see it taking place every day. So it's comforting to me to know then that God is the first cause of all that takes place. And no matter how much of my free will that I might try to exercise, all of the things that are taking place are under the guidance of God's power and control and His providential hand. Listen, we never operate independently of God's will. You and I will never operate independently of God's will. We think, gosh, that doesn't sound right. What about when I sin? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I know that even Satan himself can't operate independently of God. That in every situation, Satan and his minions, they have to ask God's permission. Read the first two or three chapters of the book of Job. It's so easy then to see he's there asking permission. And God has to give it to him. And God limits what Satan can do. Remember there was this conversation taking place in the upper room. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Think about that. Satan had to go before the triune God and ask permission to do what he did, to go to sift Peter as wheat. And Jesus said, I'm going to allow him to do it. He doesn't use those words, but he says that. He says, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. And when the greatest intercessor of all time, the Lord Jesus, prays that your faith will not fail, your faith will not fail. Peter was not going to fail completely. He would falter, but he would not fail. No one, not even Satan himself, operates independently of God. And so it is. God is involved in everything that takes place. And He's been involved from the beginning. Now, let me say again, even some of us long-time Reformed folks tend to shrink back from thoughts such as these, especially as we think about all the trials and the sufferings that have taken place in this virus. It's then that each belief is tested. It's then that such beliefs as total sovereignty become hard saying. What I've said to you already this morning has been some hard sayings. Much like the hard sayings that Jesus spoke about. Do you remember? He spoke about some of his hard sayings. There was an occasion when he was giving some hard sayings. And almost every one of his disciples walked off from him. Except for the twelve. Everybody walked away from him. And they said, what you're saying is too hard for us to believe. Why? It's because it runs contrary to our natural human thinking. And we can't accept what we're hearing. And so I would ask you and me today, is it such a hard saying 
to believe that God really is sovereign and that he is providential in his handling of all these matters that's been taking place recently. Is it so hard to believe that you and I would walk away from the Savior and from our trust in him? Would we be like those other disciples that walked away? I bring up that question for a couple of reasons. First, because I find the alternative to my believing that God is absolutely sovereign is to believe instead that all of this chaotic mess that we're currently experiencing is a result of some random people making random wrong decisions bringing us to where we are today. Those kind of thoughts remind me of when I used to play the pinball machine. I was never really good at it, but you would hit that ball and it would go over here and it would strike this bumper and it would go over to this bumper and strike there. And you're hoping you're getting some points, but you don't really know where it's going to go. You try to point it at something, but you don't know where the ball is going. Finally, it goes down. The alternative to my believing that God is in control, that He is absolutely sovereign, is to believe that some random people over in China and some random people over here in New York and some random other world leaders in politicians were making random wrong decisions and they just kind of came together to make the mess that we're in today. I don't know that that's easy for me to believe. Not at all. Because, listen, if that be so, then every other thing that's going wrong on this earth, I'm not talking about the virus at this time, but every other wrong thing that takes place on this earth is being caused by some other random people making other random wrong decisions, meaning that the whole world and everything in it is totally and completely out of control. That God's not in control, it's just happening. And you want to know something else? If that be true, then our only hope is that some random politician or some random world leader might make some random right decision that will save us from all of this doom. And folks, that kind of thinking is so much harder for me to believe and to accept than the hard sayings that I've been talking about here in Scripture about God being sovereign and Him being providential in all these matters of this mess that we're in today. If even one molecule, listen, if even one molecule of matter can resist God's control and His providential care, then everything in existence will resist His care and His control. And everything will eventually spin out of control and we'll have nothing but chaos. And i got to tell you, that's too hard for me to believe. I'd like to stop right now, by the way, and ask you all what you would think about what I'm saying. But I'm not supposed to do that when I'm in the pulpit. But I would love to know what you, what you think about what I'm saying. But listen, folks, God is so loving. He's so generous to those of us who have placed our faith in Him to give us the peace and the confidence to know that one way or another, He personally will carry us through this turmoil. And by the way, that's what the twelve disciples decided. So when Jesus was saying these hard things to all of these people, perhaps 500 of His disciples, all of them walk away except these 12. They said, what you're saying is hard sayings. So after all of the rest of them left, Jesus said to the 12, why don't you go too? Why don't you leave with them? And then Peter answering for the 12, he said, Lord, who else can we turn to? Only you have the words of life. Folks, that's a decision that you and I need to make about all of this. 
Who else can we turn to? Only you, Lord, have the words of life. Not the president, not some other world leader. Only you, Lord, have the words of life. And so it must be with you and me. We must not turn away and believe that all these things that are taking place is just a bunch of bad decisions that are being made by ignorant people. Now, with all that being said, where do we go from here? Because in light of all the suffering and the death and, the, and all that's been taking place, such thoughts about God being sovereign, they, they get tested. That's what he's talking about. In these verses we're studying, he's testing our faith. It's at times like this that we say, well, gosh, Lord, almost 100,000 people have died. And we start to question the goodness of God. And many, even believers, will start to blame God, indicting Him for crimes against us. Where were you when I needed you, when my loved one was sick? But folks, listen. For those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, this is when our faith, which is being tested, must, of necessity, rise up. It must rise up and take possession of our thoughts and our emotions. By faith, we who believe in God know that He truly is holy. He truly is righteous. That He can do no wrong. It's not within His character. It's not within His being to do evil or wrong. And what you and I must do is repent and know that our own thinking must be what needs to be corrected. Only He has the words of life. Which then brings us back to these Verses that we're studying here about the testing of our faith. Listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I was reminded in a recent message that I heard by John MacArthur about this testing of our faith, that he was saying that God is not testing your and my faith for him to find out how much faith we have. Oh, that's so misunderstood. It's actually preached in some of our uh, churches today. No, listen, God is omniscient. He already knows how weak or how strong your and my faith is. He already knows that. The testing of our faith that he speaks about here is intended to reveal to us, to our own souls, to our own minds, just how strong and how weak our faith is. And that's a critical understanding because... You and I need to be keen observers of our own faith. And again, the recognition that all those incidents and encounters are all coming by the providential hand of God, whether they be matters involving this virus and whether they be politicians that are intentionally... And, and we can see this taking place and we get so confused by it. But we watch these politicians as they work for positions uh, so that they can have the upper positions and they're using our own suffering for their good to, to promote them. And the media is doing the same thing. But folks, you and I have to look past that. We have to look past all of that. We have to see that God's providential hand is there at every turn. He brings into being and orchestrates most all that is taking place. And yes, you and I, you and I are part of those secondary causes that the theologians spoke about in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And our secondary causes can look just like we are causing it all to take place. But folks, it is God's hand that is at work in all of this. We have only a short time left. How do we get from where we are in our thinking to where we need to be? In looking at this testing of our faith, he tells us, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. 
King James Version uses the word fall into. Count it all joy when you fall into these trials of many kind, giving the sense that we are not being willful within what's taking place. And we didn't necessarily cause what's taking place. And we can see that within the trials of this virus. We didn't cause any of it. But what it is, is it's God's use of every part of what takes place on a daily basis to help us to trust Him all the more. Now granted, listen, I want to also say that as we look at ourselves and we see how we personally do reach our own hand in and do things wrong, yes, we do. And again, as I said at the beginning, I don't know how this takes place, but even that which we do somehow works together with what God's plan is, and it ends up being His plan that works out. We didn't cause this suffering. We didn't cause this virus. So God is addressing something here that though we didn't cause it, we're right in the middle of the testing. And He says, now what are you going to do with it? And He says, if we respond rightly to it, then it will produce a harvest of righteousness within our soul. And that's so important for you and me to realize and to accept because to the degree that you and I can see God's hand in the midst of our trials, that is the degree to which we can have a measure of peace. And as we suffer, we're able to trust that the outcome will be for our good. Now, what I'm thinking about is this. In my earliest years, my mama was a Pentecostal. And so I grew up with some of the Pentecostal doctrines floating through my mind. The average Pentecostal is saying, oh, God has nothing to do with this suffering. God doesn't do this. This is straight from the devil. And the devil's using these world leaders and all of that. Straight from the devil. God has nothing to do with it. Folks, that's not in Scripture. Suffering is a part. It, suffering is a useful instrument in the hand of God. Uh, Romans 5, right at the beginning of Romans 5, he says, Suffering brings on perseverance, and perseverance brings on character, and character brings on hope. God uses the sufferings of our day to produce this harvest of righteousness. God is a loving Father. He loves us more deeply than we can imagine. He knows that His rebuking and His chastening will help us to grow in righteousness. And He tells us that in Hebrews 12. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, verse 5. My son, my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and He scourges every son, every daughter whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as true sons. And He says in verse 11 of Hebrews 12, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Are you being trained by these testings and trials? that you've been experiencing for the past four to six weeks. Folks, it's a wonderful thought for me. It's peace for me to know that God's hand is ever and always working things together for good. He doesn't ask me, He doesn't ask you to understand. He simply asks us to trust Him. And as to the fear that seems to always take control over our thoughts. That's where our faith, again, that's where our faith that is being tested must rise up and it must confront our doubts and know that it's true that God is ever and always our loving Father. That He is always good 
and he always does good. By the way, that's in Psalm 119. He is good and he does good. He does nothing else. And he is always pure and holy. And as you and I, you and I are being told that we have to not draw back from it, but we need to lean into this intimate presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's when we'll hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, listen, this is me at work. It may not look like it all the time, but it's me at work and I'll give you peace. Let's pray.